Hello, flight instructors and NAFI members. This is John Niehaus, Director of Program Development for the National Association of Flight Instructors. And I am happy to welcome you back to another episode of the NAFI More Right Rudder podcast, the podcast for flight instructors on the go. Now, today, I know I say this every single time, but the episode is actually sponsored by another longtime friend of NAFI and our members. It's ASA. Aviation Supplies and Academics. Now, if you're not familiar with ASA, they have uh, tirelessly supported NAFI and our members. They do so much for us. Um, they help us uh, do a lot of things that, uh, that we provide to the industry and to the members. And so without them, there's just a lot that we wouldn't be able to do. Um, their content is fantastic. If you've never bought one of their books, you would love it. Um, they're... Uh, I love the paper they use. I know that's weird to say, but it's just a, a really cool feeling paper. Um, and uh, so you'll love the stuff. You've probably seen their uh, their books like the um, ACS and PTS uh, handy guides that they print. They also have the oral exam guides for pretty much all of the, uh, the flight tests. So those are things that uh, I think we take for granted. We forget how awesome they are. Um, and uh, remember, NAFI members get 20% off most training products. So if you're not um, using that discount and you are a NAFI member, you could be saving some money. And uh, that money could go towards your renewal of your NAFI membership. Hooray! <laughs> um, but uh, if you're not a member, um, we'd love to have you too. And uh, just another perk of, of signing up, www.nafinet.org. And all of the discounts pay, um, that we have are on a discounts page once you log in. So you go from the uh, member homepage to the discounts page, you'll see ASA and uh, all the rest of the awesome supporters and discounts that we have. So uh, check it out if you haven't done that recently. Um, additionally, I'd like to remind you to um, rate our podcast. Uh, give us five stars if you could. Um, four if you're not feeling inclined, but uh, you know, five preferably. Uh, it all of that does is uh, it helps us get seen. It helps um, us get sorted amongst all of the other podcasts that are out there. And there are tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of podcasts. So the more ratings we have, the better off we are. Um, and uh, the more we're recognized, the more we can do. The more awesome content we can provide you. And uh, so today, uh, the content of the podcast is actually a um, topic that I think we take for granted. It is straight and level, flying straight and level, teaching straight and level. Um, and it's really cool because we try to solicit ideas for content from our members, from our followers. And uh, an individual came and, and said, we never talk about straight and level. We just assume people know how to do it. We assume that instructors know how to teach it. But there's got to be a better way. There's got to be small nuances that we don't think about um, that maybe we can just uh, have a chat and so we did just that. Uh, we got a team together. I, I was um, a part of it, which was awesome for me. And uh, I got to talk to our chairman, Bob Mater, uh, NAFI board member, Captain Brian Schiff, and uh, long-standing master instructor, Aaron Dabney. Um, and uh, Aaron also owns Waco Flight Training down in uh, Waco, Texas. So if you're in the Texas area, go look him up. He's one of the best instructors you'll find. Um, but anyways, we had a really good time talking about straight and level, how we think about it, and how we accomplish it with our brand new students, because it is a f uh, foundational skill. It's a building block that leads to 
everything else that you do in flight training, both in uh, um, your private, but also your instrument and, and everything else. So it's uh, kind of a fun thing because you just don't think about it. Anyways, I hope you enjoy it, and uh, I welcome you to listen to Straight and Level. Today's topic is straight and level. It seems like an obvious uh, thing, but it's proven to not have a lot of guidance by the FAA or in the FAA manuals. So we've arranged a panel of our experts here. Um, and today we have NAFI Chairman, CFI, I, MEI, Bob Mater. Howdy. We have CFI, I, Aaron Dabney, owner of Waco Flight Training. Howdy. He's also a four-time master instructor, I might add. And we have CFI, I, MEI, ATP, Captain Brian Schiff. Welcome, everybody. Hello. So once again, this was a, a topic that was suggested by one of our members, and uh, he was just hoping that maybe we could provide some tips, tricks, and, and possible guidance on what it means to teach straight and level, especially for a new instructor. So uh, Bob, let's start with you. What do you got? Uh, I find that it's one of the more difficult things, especially uh, with people who've self-trained on simulators and so on because they want to be instrument pilots and so the the hard part has been getting them is getting them outside and looking at the natural horizon um that's that's number one is get them get their head outside you know the gauges are really distracting they're cool they're fun they're piloty you know what i'm saying and so get outside you know what i one of the first things i tell them you're learning how to fly because it's really cool to see the houses get small it's fun don't forget, this is fun. And then it's basically, I demonstrate uh, initially straight and level flying. I put my hand on the panel, have them do the same thing, and say, well, I'm flying the airplane, and say, see where your hand is, see where the horizon is. Look at that picture, memorize that picture. Take a look real quickly out the wingtips. Your head should be moving around anyway, looking for traffic. So, Get them, I get them outside and I say, look at the wingtips. See, they're, they're even to the horizon. If they're not and we're still going straight, well, maybe the plane's a little out of trim. You know, maybe we need, if it's a piper, for example, adjust the rudder, that type of thing. Make sure we're not slipping through the air. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, and then uh, are flying sideways through the air. And then uh, get them to memorize that picture and try to hold it. There's some other things I'd like to talk about as we move along, but We've got smarter people on this panel than me, so I'm going to defer to them. Aaron, you're up next. Any tips? Uh, yeah, um, I'll I'll, kind of, I'll start off by kind of, of tacking on to what Bob said. You know, one thing that I used to go with a lot was, hey, what's what is the ratio of ground to sky supposed to be in this airplane to indicate we're level? You know, like if we're in a 172, you're looking at about one third ground, two thirds sky. But something I actually stole recently off of one of my CFI candidates that I was teaching is we were in a 172 and he puts his hand up on the glare shield and says, Hey, shoot the horizon. And sure enough on a 172 and in a Cherokee 180, I've learned as well. If the horizon's on your little barrel right here, your levels, this is another good reference to use. Um, another thing that I, I see as a problem uh, with, with straight level flight is, is improper trim usage. I've inherited a lot of students that 
it's the, the, the phrase we use out in the country is they're just trying to kind of figure it out like it's new every single time they're trying to hold their mouth right. Okay, well, where's the channel need to be at bay? And if we can give them a formula, you know, given a, a certain power setting, given a certain airspeed, given a certain attitude, getting a certain, given, a, given a certain trim setting, it ought to work every day, right? So if we can give them step A plus step B plus step C leads to this result and we can replicate it, now it's not a mystery. Now we're not trying to stir the cauldron and see what comes up this time. So I think um, anything we can do to sort of give them, hey, here's the rubric you plug into, and it's going to work, it demystifies it. Brian, you're up next. What they said. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, I agree with what they, what they said. I say that a little different way, and that's the beauty of, of listening to different instructors is you can hear the same thing said different ways. And... I agree, straight level flight is a very underrated skill. I often will take over students or I'll give a flight review and I notice how many pilots just can't do it. And I say, the first thing we're gonna do is straight level flight. So level off here at 3,250 feet. <laughs> and I make them level off at a crazy altitude like that, just to you know, see if they can do it. Because you say 33,000, if you say 3,000 feet, you know, they think, oh, plus or minus 100 is okay. I don't allow those tolerances. But anyway, I noticed that they can't do it, straight and level flight. And I just said, you know, let it go for a minute or two minutes. And I noticed that it starts wandering. I'm like, you can't hold straight and level flight. And they said, well, there's something wrong with the airplane. Let me see it. And then it's locked on. Like, no, airplane's fine. You got it. Hold straight and level flight. And so I noticed that a lot of pilots are having trouble with just straight and level flight. Just watch FlightAware someday and watch the altitudes uh, of all the aircraft that are, yeah, theoretically in cruise. Um, and I think Aaron's correct. Pitch uh, trim is a very big problem. Pilots are not trimming the airplane. Um, you know, maybe the guy who doesn't hold altitude is a safer pilot because he's not at the same altitude as everybody else, and he's <laughs> going to have a near midair instead of a collision. I don't know. But I think proper level off technique is important. Pitch, trim, power. And then I make my students, after they get the airplane level and in trim, I want them to tell me when they think it's in trim by holding their hands up and just letting it stay like that for a while, because what that does is prove that they're usually wrong and get it and micro trim it and, and not let them fly with the trim, which is I think what Aaron, you were referring to, where they just, if they're climbing, they'll trim down. If they're descending, they'll trim. No, I teach put the airplane where you know it should be to get what you want out of it and then see how you're doing. And, and I teach, well, like I've never heard of the aim the pistol, but I always teach four fingers. So you set your, your hand on the glare shield and the horizon, you know, should be four fingers below or above the, of the, the cowling of this, like on a Cessna 172. Your airplane may vary, but know where it should go and put it right there and hold it there. Trim it so you don't have to hold, you know, hold any pressure. Um, so I think that's, that's huge for altitude. And then also uh, uh, choose an object in the distance. Get their eyes out, like Bob said. Look at something very far away. It, when you're in your car, if you're looking down at the road in front of you, you're going to be weaving back and forth. If you're aiming toward the end of the road, the end of the center line, then you're aiming more of a straight line. So I think getting the eyes out, looking at something straight ahead and far away will also help. If I, if I may add on to what uh, Aaron and Brian said, getting them to look at something far away. People who've flown with me, the instrument pilots who've flown with me that know that I'm really harsh about headings and so on, not harsh, demanding maybe, insistent might be a better word. Um, when they fly with me VFR, they'll say, say for a flight review or part of a flight review, they'll say, where, where do you want me to go? And I'll just wave my hand out the window. 
that way. What? Go that way. Don't get me in airspace. Don't get me in trouble. Just go that way. And then I see what the track looks like. And then I point out to them, and this is more of a tracking issue than it is straight and level. But I, I say, do you see the world shifting left or right in the window? You're not going straight, you know, relative to, to the center of gravity of the airplane, which in smaller airplanes is about where our seats are. The other thing uh, that, that uh, happens in a newer technology airplane, say, say something with G1000 in it, is they're so intent on maintaining altitude or airspeed, their data computer is extremely sensitive and they start chasing it. Mm -hmm. So now we're into, now we're into pilot induced oscillations. Now they're, now they can't keep up with that thing. There's no way there's little pockets of air and different pressure pressures that the computer senses and so on. And I'll say, just leave it alone. It's fine. I got a trick for that. Okay. <laughs> and okay. And, but last but not least say in a, in a, in a, in a, in a six pack airplane, what I've been known to do, I think somebody's having difficulty uh, maintaining straight and level or maintaining level is I'll cover up the altimeter and just say fly, just yeah. fly. That, and that was if you're doing it right, if I uncover the altimeter, you should be within about fifty feet of where we started. Mm -hmm. That's the benefit of putting them in the back seat of a coat; they can't see it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> True enough. Well. And, and as a, a caveat to pretty much everything you guys said, I even take it and back it up one step further from the very, very beginning. Um, when I have a new student, I always make sure they're very conscious of where they're sitting so that they understand that that's important. I want them to know how high they're sitting with if their seat goes up and down. I want them to know how close or back they are because if I can get them to understand what straight and level is in one spot and they can make sure that they're sitting in that same spot that's comfortable each and every time, it makes it a lot easier to replicate because I had one student who was a little bit shorter um, and she was always readjusting her seat and that was causing her, her view perspective to change each time. And it took us a couple flights to really realize what was going on because, you know, to use Brian's technique, I always teach the hand thing too. Once I'll get it straight and level and I'll hold on to the airplane, stick your hand up there. Is it, is it, four fingers below the horizon? Is it three fingers below the horizon? You know, whatever that might be, it should be that each and every time. So if, you know, you'll always see one of my students, especially if they're private, where they're trying to figure it out and they'll just go, nah, that, looks, that looks about right. That looks okay. But that's, that doesn't work if they sit in a different spot each time. Um, and then to, I believe both, I think all three of you made this point. Um, you know, we used to teach in Cirrus uh, at the university that I used to instruct in. And the, the shiny objects, the, the TV screens, all the data, it's just so overwhelming, especially for a new pilot. So, you know, we had these nice covers and just put the cover right on the thing. Well, what are you doing? I can't, I can't fly without, oh, yes, you can. And, and the big Bob's picture's point, outside. Exactly. Yeah. Look, at, look at the cool things out there. Look at the, the tower that's way off in the distance. And I'll let them do it for a minute, minute and a half, and, and I'll pull it off and I'll go, okay, well, how close to your altitude are you? I, I'm right on. How did that happen? Well, you know, it's, it, you're, you're in your own head. You're looking at too much. So I, I agree with everything you guys said. Don't yeah, forget birds, birds. Uh, I'm going to be proven wrong by an ornitho ornithologist, <laughs> but birds don't have altimeters, at least not the way we understand them. Right. They don't hold their altitude either. Well, <laughs> actually, have you watched a flight of geese? Yeah. They have no hold. 
They will yeah. hold out of you. Well, I think as a technique and a more specific technique, what I teach is from the get-go with primary students is to look out the window. The big picture is outside. That If you want the big picture, look outside. You do the micromanaged picture is inside. So I teach them the proper level off is important to do first. So pitch, trim, and then power, but do it outside and do it and start it at the right time. So from 50, if they're climbing at 500 feet per minute, for example, then from 50 feet prior to their level off altitude, they don't get an altimeter because it's irrelevant at that point. You just need to put the airplane where you know it should be by looking outside uh, to get what you want out of it. So 50 feet prior to level off altitude, I cover up their altimeter and the VSI and I say, look outside, give me four fingers below the horizon. And like I think Bob said, keep your wingtips the same distance from the horizon. Notice how I'm doing that. I'm looking for traffic while I'm doing it, which is very important and cannot be understated. So I say, now I want you to hold your altitude for a minute. And they don't get the altimeter for a minute after they've leveled off and get it in trim, hold that pitch attitude, hold the airplane where you know it should be. And amazingly, I uncover the altimeter, it's spot on. Yeah. I want to piggyback yeah. off of a word that, that John said that I think is real important that we repeat, and that's, that's replicatable. Now, whether we're talking about straight and level flight or any other maneuver, I think, I think one of the best pieces of advice, and you guys will probably agree that we can give to a new CFI, is if we're teaching our students replicatable behaviors, we're doing the right things. If they're having to try and reinvent the wheel every single time we haven't done our job. Yeah. Uh, one other point that uh, I think we ought to make is that this off my is that this might be a symptom of of moving on beyond the basic building blocks too quickly because we think straight and level is such an obvious thing. Okay, we did straight and level. We spent two minutes on that, and now let's do coordinated turns. And before you know it. Okay, let's go ahead and get on the stalls and steep turns because we want to get to that landing and get them soloed. But are are we spending enough time as a as a profession on really getting those very basic principles of flight down? This might be something that we're not. You know, Aaron, you raise a good point because at football camp every year, the first thing they make or one of the first things that happens, they got to run the tires. They got to remember to pick up their knees, right? So it's the same thing with us. To us, flying straight and level, no big deal. Point the airplane, we go, because we've done it so much. So we need to make sure that because it's easy for us, it's not necessarily easy for the person sitting next to us. And the other thing, as you said, uh, as everybody said, make sure it's, we can replicate it. And where we have to be cognizant as, as flight instructors is that we do it the same way every time when we, when we demonstrate, or even if we're not demonstrating, we just have the controls. Say we did unusual attitudes and we've got the controls and now it's time for us to level off. We're giving the student a break for a second. You know, they've got the foggles off and they're looking out the window. That we do it the same way. I mean, let's face it. I think the four of us could level off an airplane any way we wanted and get it right. But for somebody who's just beginning, there's an A, then a B, then a C every single time. To Brian's point. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's, it's a walk before you can run sort of situation because every single maneuver that we teach, whether it be stall, steep turns, unusual attitudes, they all start and begin at level. And if you can't hold level, how can we expect them to hold level in a turn? How can we expect them to return to level from a situation where they're, you know, nose up and to the left? So, so that has to be there as a foundation before they move on to anything else. And one more t trick that I use, if I see they're having a little trouble with, with this, there's the old, there's the old grease pencil 
on the windscreen trick. You know, figure out where their eyes are on the ground safely and draw a mark on draw a mark with a grease pencil, something your mechanic approves so you don't get in trouble there. Dry erase marker works well too. Dry erase marker. And if they're not if they're not flying coordinated, again, get together with your mechanic, make sure you don't do anything that'll damage the paint or the Don't windscreen. use a Sharpie. Don't use a Sharpie. <laughs> But where I was going with this is if they're having trouble with coordination in, in any kind of flight, straight and level particularly, I steal from the uh, from the glider pilots. I put a yaw string in front of them. Yeah, that's a good idea. That yeah, the, the the pitch plus power plus wings level, you're gonna hold straight and level. But I think the takeaway for CFIs who are watching this or new CFIs, spend more time on straight and level flight, like an inordinate amount of time. Watch them hold straight and level. If you see a flight path that's gradually up, crack back down, gradually up, crack back down, gradually, and it looks like a sawtooth or a wave pattern. Uh, if you're using ForeFlight or Cloud Ahoy to, you know, look at a flight afterwards, you can actually see this pattern, and that's an aircraft out of trim. It's grad. If it if it needs nose down trim, it's going to climb, 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 climb up, fix it back down, climb, climb, climb. And if you see that behavior, you know they're not in trim. Tell them to take their hands off the the stick. I'm sorry, the yoke or the flight control. Whatever. Yeah, and the other thing is, and then I'll get off my soapbox here. Another thing is a lot of people seem to think that using the trim is cheating. Yeah. And what I tell my, what I tell my, uh, my, my learners these days, my students, is you cannot bench press or curl this airplane from St. Louis to Chicago. You're not, you don't have the endurance. You, you just, you can't hold 10 pounds of pressure for the next hour. That's crazy. The airplane, the airplane does the work. You're the brains of the operation. Well, I ask them, are you gonna are you gonna drive an eight hour road trip and never use the cruise control? <laughs> back at back in the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't allowed to drive in the seventies. Thanks, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I think another important thing for instructors is to not tolerate mediocrity. Um, be like Bob said, he says he's a stickler, but that's really a sign of a good CFI. Uh, the ACS standards are not something we should strive to. And I think I heard an instructor once say, don't strive for the worst you can be. That's what the ACS standards are actually the worst you can be. Strive for the best. I don't tolerate, if you can hold 3,020 feet, then you can surely hold 3,000 feet. Have them constantly correct. You may not always be right on that altitude, but constantly correct for it. So, and, and the altimeter doesn't tell you uh, uh, it just tells you how you're doing and your, your heading indicator as well. So don't look at it. It's not telling you how to fly. It's telling you how you're doing. So look at where you know to put the airplane and check it every now and then and see how you've been doing. Uh, and to and piggyback then, on, on something that, that Brian said, I think we, especially when we're new, we get it in our heads that we've got to focus on customer service and be our student's buddy. And the, the, the being demanding, being sticky, uh, a stickler, being picky, that's that's something I've never apologized for. And the students line up out the door. They you might upset that. them, but they'll thank you later. They, mm -hmm. they come into this wanting somebody who, hey, I, I understand I'm going to have, have my family and my friends in this airplane with me, and I want this to be something I've learned how to do properly. So don't don't think that you got to be everybody's buddy your, your first job is to be a professional flight instructor and, and if it's something you want to do long term the marketplace will reward you for that here here i i have to agree completely and what i said i said this at, our, at nappy's breakfast recently 
every time we teach somebody how to fly, we affect hundreds of other people we'll never meet. Mm -hmm. Families, friends, uh, they go on to an airline or a corporate career, all those people. So we have to be cognizant of that. The other thing, the, but the way I lighten up the mood a little bit, first of all, I tell students up front, yes, I'm going to be a stickler. I will, if I get too harsh, let me know, but I'm going to be, be a stickler for doing well. And the other thing I tell them in a lighter mood is the better you do, the tougher I'll get. If you I like to do it in a fun way. In a I fun like way, to try exactly. To, yeah, make it fun, though. Like our, the parameters. Yeah, if you aim for the bullseye and you fall short, you know, that's not a big deal. If you aim for the plus or minus 200 that the ACS allows and you fall short, oh, that's a big deal. So yeah. aim for perfection. You're going to fall short. That's okay. Yeah. Tolerate it. But I also ask them, you know, regarding maintaining altitude or heading when they don't do exactly like I said, I just said, do you know what the act of maintaining heading and altitude is for? And they'll say, well, so you don't go this or this. no, no, no. Or the center line of a runway. What's that for? Well, so you don't hit objects. You're not, no, all these things are for professional pilots. Right. <laughs> so if you don't, you know, if you want to just leave it to them, that's fine. <laughs> I had a guy on flight review one time. I, I forget how many landings we did, but he could not land the airplane on the center line. And the debrief force that comes up as a major issue. And no kidding, looks at me with a straight face and says, I'll leave that for the professionals. And I said, I guess so. <laughs> I always tell them that they, I, I said, you know what? I, this is a safe bet for me because you obviously can't do it. This lesson, my time is free if you make that center line this next landing. You know what? It happens. So sometimes they just need motivation, but that costs me money. <laughs> I well, take and, him, and I take him to the narrowest point. runway I can find. The nearest what? The narrowest runway I can find. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, yep. and and shameless plug: uh, tolerance of mediocrity. Brian's first Naffy Notums number one. Go back and read it. Um, but uh, we've got one more topic to cover during this video, guys. Um, the, the same idea of straight and level, but taking it into a instrument student, somebody who's brand new, just passed their, their private pilot check ride, moving on to instruments, and now they're trying to do the opposite of what we all just said. They can't look outside anymore. Um, what are your thoughts on teaching straight and level when they're only allowed to look at the instruments when they've gotten so used to looking at the horizon? I think this, this is the same thing. Go ahead, Aaron. Okay. I think there's an opportunity for positive transfer of learning if we use the same ideas. Um, they've got an attitude indicator. Let's use it. You know, we kind of, kind of Bob's point with, with the G1000. Yeah, we, we've got these, these numbers that, that we're on the surface of and we're cognizant of when we're flying IFR. And so it is easy to go chasing numbers on the altimeter, on the VSI, whatever. But let's, let's start with attitude and power setting and build the rest in. I think that's the simplest way to start with this. Yeah, and that's what I do is I teach them to know where to put the airplane to get what you want out of it. Same as VFR, but now they're just using a different reference. It's a much smaller one, that little teeny round window to the outside world or the big square one, whether it be one. But uh, again, cover the altimeter when they're leveling off. Have them attitude instrument fly. Make a big, big emphasis on attitude instrument flying and what pitch and power will yield each of these things. Not a hundred things, but just straight and level or approach uh, speed or what will give me a normal three degree glide. So, but for straight and level, uh, if your nose, the symbol of the nose is on the horizon in the same spot and the wingtips are on the horizon. So focus on the nose and the wingtips on your attitude indicator, just like you would in VFR flight, then you're gonna find straight and level flight is the same. Then check your altimeter, see how you're doing, come right back to that window and then this starts to incorporate a scan, but do it just like VFR flight. 
first thing, the first thing I do with a brand new uh, instrument student is I tell them they, I've been asking for 90% outside, 10% inside, if they've been flying with me before. Now I say, now you have special permission. You're not going to put foggles on yet. Well, it's my first instrument lesson. That's okay. Don't put on foggles. We're going to turn things around. I want you 90% inside, 10% outside. I'll be watching for traffic and I'll be flying the airplane for a few, for a few minutes. And then I'm going to put the airplane straight and level. I want you to look at the attitude indicator and correlate that with the horizon. Look at the altimeter, correlate that with the horizon. Look at the DG, correlate that with the wingtips and so on and so forth. And I show them, I show them the, um, how this all relates to the real world. And then I show them, and I'm going to borrow a term from Wolfgang Lungeweish here from Stick and Rudder, the gates, G-A-I-T-S as in a horse, the gates of the airplane. I'll slow the airplane down, maintain altitude and say, okay, see, now we're at half a dot above the horizon at this speed. At this RP, at this manifold pressure or RPM, at, we've reduced to this speed. This is how far above the horizon we are. We're still straight and level, just the nose is up. This is something you've been doing all along, but now you're going to be even more aware of it because it's going to get micromanaged by that little, by that little or even big gauge right in front of you. And then I let them do it again. No foggles yet. Just let them walk through it, change airspeed. And my, my only goal is keep going the direction we're going, you know, or whatever. We pick a course, a heading, and we, if you ever looked at a pattern that I fly, you'll see a whole, it'll look like I'm searching for somebody on the ground when we do that, because I'm just back and forth over the same field over and over again. And then they can put the foggles on. And then they try it again. And that, that's, as Brian said, and, and Aaron too, that's the start of the scan. That's how they start learning to scan the instruments. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. And, and I used to do a lot of those similar techniques. Um, at the university, we had the benefit of some really, really nice state-of-the-art simulators. Um, and I know that's probably not the, the vernacular we're supposed to use, but just for the sake of argument, we'll just call it that. Um, and uh, once they had sort of that foundation that Bob's talking about, what was really nice was I could then start failing things. And, and even if we just, um, I take the airplane and say, look, I'm going to fail the attitude indicator. And then I would start doing something and I'd tell them, hey, what are we doing? You know, are we climbing? Are we descending? Are we holding level? Well, how do you tell? Um, and, and incorporating that scan like Bob was talking about and forcing them to figure out which instruments are, as the FAA would say, primary and secondary for climbs, descents, turns, whatever. Um, it was forcing them to then start looking around to figure out, you know, what was happening. And then you, you unfreeze one and you freeze the next one and, and make them figure out a different way. And I, I found that by doing that, their ability to determine a little bit quicker and more accurately, whether they were straight and level or, or in a very, very slow climber descent was improved. Yeah, simulator is a great tool for doing things like that. And in the airplane, I have a, a stick with a paper on it and I'll cover different instruments at different times. And I kind of force the student's eyes to go where I want it to go. And, and again, I, I have like to Bob's point about certain gates, I have four pitch and powers that they got to know. Yeah. One of them is straight and level cruise, nose on the horizon at 2,500 RPM, for example, is going to give me straight and level cruise. If I, and then if I'm going to shoot an approach or start holding, uh, like in a 172, 2,100 RPM, nose about one nose ball width above the horizon is going to give me 90 knots straight and level flight. So what I do is I say, and, and there's a couple more they need to know, not too many, 
those four they have to know, but those, those are two of them. And then I say, okay, we're in straight and level cruise, give me 90 knots. And I immediately cover the airspeed indicator and the altimeter. And they don't care because they're just going to put the power back to 2100 RPM, trim it as they slow down because it'll change. It's just a target. And the ball one dot high, one, one I'm sorry, the, uh, the nose of the airplane, that representative nose that is the dot on the attitude indicator, one wing width or nose width above the horizon and just hold it there, trim it out. When they're done, I take my covers off the instruments and all of a sudden look, they're at their altitude and they're at 90 knots. So knowing where to put the airplane to get what they want out of it, yeah. crucial. All goes back to, to having a list and, and teaching replicatable behaviors. Yeah. One thing in this conversation reminds me uh, for the newer instructor, learn the airplane. 90 knots in a 172 looks different than 90 knots in a 182. Oh, yeah. Different pitch attitudes. And so before, before you start, and this came up, it comes up because I have a student who owns a, a really nice older 182. And I had to remind myself, oh, this is a dot, and a, 90 knots is a dot and a half in this airplane, just because of the nature of the airplane. It makes perfect sense. And, and uh, hey, guys, uh, any closing remarks before we uh, say goodbye to the members here? Yeah, just don't tolerate mediocrity as an instructor. And, and, and to Aaron's point, have, have specific routines and do it the same way every time and get the habit pattern and the muscle memory set. Uh, and especially with that trim. Trim is important. What? And I have to agree. Remember what you read in the FOI about the building block nature of learning. They they didn't put that in there because they wanted to take up space in the book. It's it's true. And if we neglect the early building blocks, we're going to be wondering why they suck at everything else. You know, I I, I can't say it any better than than either of you you two have. So I'm just going to reiterate reiterate what you said. Set a standard. Make it a, let your students know that there's a standard. Hold it and give, give them a chance to learn. Don't, don't throw them right into an instrument approach because you, you both think it's cool. No. Fundamentals first. A, then B, then C, then D, no matter, no matter what. Well, there you have it. Walk before you can run. Um, thank you so much, guys, for, for coming in. I, I know that our members will appreciate it. 